Greetings, Darklings, and welcome to Once Upon a Terror. I'm your host, Adelina Hill, and I have one short story for you tonight. It's about 25 minutes long, so snuggle in bed and get ready. You like haunted houses? Do you like blood? You like mysteries? This is the story for you. Let's get into it. Once Upon a Time. Our first story for tonight is called The Blood Drips by J.E. Murdoch. For a long time, for years, in fact, at short intervals, the following advertisement appeared in most, if not all, the London papers and many of the provincial ones. To let on long lease at low rental or freehold to be sold cheap a magnificent family residence, complete with every convenience suitable for a large family. The house stands in its own grounds, comprising nearly three and a half acres, part of which is natural wood, while the remainder is laid out as flower and kitchen gardens. There is stabling for four or five horses, with commodious carriage house, harness room, hay and corn lofts, and spacious apartments for coachmen, grooms, etc., the property, which is only 25 miles from London, enjoys an unequalled situation both as regards salubrity and views. The country is opened all round, with extensive woods in the neighborhood. The climate is bracing, gravel soil lying on chalk, an adequate supply of water, and drainage perfect. Apply in the first instance to Smitten Weardale and Smitten estate and house agents, valors and auctioneers, 105 New Bond Street, London, West. On the first blush, this advertisement was very attractive, and its bona fides was beyond question. Seeing that such a well-known and own old established firm as Smitten and Weirdell and Smitten was responsible for it, but a second reading would naturally have caused any thinking person to ask himself why. If this property was all that was represented, it should be offered at a very low rental, or cheaply if bought. Now, it was very certain that there was something wrong. Otherwise, a magnificent family residence and three and a half acres of ground need no wait long for a customer. But, as already stated, this advertisement continued to appear at short intervals for years, so that those who were familiar with it knew quite well that out of the hundreds of thousands of people who must have read it, no one has yet been induced to invest. Now what was the object in continuing the advertisement upon which a large sum of money must have been spent if a customer was not forthcoming? 
The only answer to this was that the owner or owners of the property hoped that by continuing it long enough, the advertisement would at least attract the right person, and in the end, this hope was realized. One morning, an August morning it was, brilliant with sunlight, when even grimy London looked bright and cheerful, a gentleman entered the office of Smitten, Weirder and Smitten. There was something about him that suggested long residence abroad, his dress and appearance generally. He wore a soft gray felt hat, a large flowing necktie, and loose collar, and a gray check suit of clothes, which, though faultless as to their cut, had never been made in England, or at any rate, not in London. For your London tailor has a style which, to the practiced eye, is unmistakable. The gentleman was evidently an invalid or convalescent. He was thin, languid, and delicate-looking. There were dark rims under his eyes, and though his face was tanned with sun, it was grayish in its hue, and suggestive of an under undermined constitution. Smitten, Weirdell, and Smitten's office were extensive and luxuriously fitted, as became a first-class firm of estate agents in so fashionable a neighborhood as New Bond Street. The gentleman was received by a page boy and shown into the waiting room, which was furnished with velvet lounges and chairs and plentiful supplied with newspapers. I wish to see one of the principals, said the gentleman, handing the page boy his card on which was engraved, Walter Reginald Mitten, British Columbia. The boy bowed, took the card, and retired. In a few minutes, an obsequious clerk entered, and with many bows requested Mr. Walter Reginald Mitten to kindly step this way, sir. Mr. Mitten followed the clerk, who showed him into the large, handsomely furnished room, the walls of which were covered with photographs of houses of all kinds and colored plans of estates. At a massive mahogany desk sat a well-preserved gentleman long past the prime of life, but with silver hair, a bright keen eye, and rubicund face that suggested a fondness for good living and old crusted port. "'Do I address Mr. Smitten?' asked the stranger. "'Yes, sir. I am the head of the firm. Pray take a chair.' And Mr. Smitten put his white, fat hands together with professional dignity and waited for his visitor to state his business. I've noticed an advertisement in the Times, began Mr. Mitten, taking from his pocketbook a half-sheet of notepaper on which the advertisement alluded to have been neatly gummed. It has reference to the sale of a family residence, and I should like to have some further particulars about it. Mr. Smitten's eyes brightened up with joyful expectancy. As glancing at the sheet of notepaper, he recognized the advertisement, which had become fossilized, so to speak, in the London dailies. Oh, yes, he answered pleasantly, and with a most becoming smile. The advertisement accurately describes the property. Where is it situated? About six miles from station on the southeastern line, an hour's run from London. There will be no difficulty in me seeing it. Oh, no, whatever. I may mention that I am a mining engineer, and I have been for many years in British Columbia. But I have made a moderate fortune, and being in very bad health, I am anxious to settle down in my native country. Ah, just so, remarked Mr. Smitten blandly, and stroking his smoothly shaven chin. Are you a family man, Mr. Mitten, may I ask? Yes, I have a wife and one daughter, twenty years of age. 
Mr. Smitten's countenance seemed to fall just ever so little, as he replied. Oof! I am afraid that if your family is so small you might find the house larger than you require. Oh no, answered Mitten quickly, and Mr. Smitten's countenance recovered again. We like a large house, for we keep a good deal of company. Then I don't think you can do better than purchase Dumthrope Hall, said Mr. Smitten with a gracious smile. Is that the name of the place? Yes, of course. If you become the owner, you will be at liberty to adopt any other name you like. Now I suggest before entering in any further particulars that we go down and see the property. You couldn't have a better day. This country will be charming under the brilliant sun. If you will allow me, I shall have much pleasure in accompanying you. That will suit me admirably. I am staying at the Travis Dock Hotel. We can call there in a cab and pick up my wife and daughter. Mr. Smitten struck his bell, and the page boy appeared with such alegrity that one might have thought the bell set some spring in motion, which shot the boy into the room. Peter, look for the next train for- Yes, sir. Two minutes later, the boy came back. There is a train at 12.50, sir. Good. Mr. Smitten looked at his massive gold watch. Although a handsome clock stood on the mantelpiece, the force of habit, no doubt. We have an hour and a half ample time, and as I have little business to do, perhaps you will permit me to meet you at the station? Oh, certainly. A few minutes later, Mr. Mitten was on his way to his hotel, and punctual to the time, he and his wife, a charming but delicate and nervous-looking lady, and his daughter, a no less charming girl, were at the station, where Mr. Smitten had already arrived and procured first-class tickets. On alighting at, after an hour's run through a pleasant country, a brougham and a pair of horses, which Mr. Smitten had ordered by telegraph from the landlord of the hotel near the station, were waiting, and the party at once drove to the Dumthrop Hall, a distance of over six miles from the station. "'I should mention,' remarked Mr. Smitten, just before reaching the place, "'that the property has unfortunately been allowed to fall into somewhat dilapidated conditions, for the owner, who is in India, has sadly neglected it. However, they will be duly taken into consideration in fixing the purchase money.' As regards the situation, the advertisement has scarcely done its justice. The country, diversified with wood, hill, and dale, was charming, and looked at its very best on the brilliant summer's day. The entrance to the grounds of Dumthorpe Hall was through a gateway, the gates being wrought iron and of handsome design, but now rusty and out of the perpendicular owing to the sinking of the foundations of one of the pillars on which they were hung. Some difficulty, therefore, was experienced in getting in. There was a small lodge at the entrance, but it was overrun with ragged creepers, and the windows were covered with the accumulated dirt of years. As the visitors stood for a few moments, looking about them, after the difficulty of opening the gate had been overcome, Miss Mitten suddenly uttered a startled cry, and clung in alarm to her father's arm. "'What is it? What is it, my dear?' he asked quickly. "'Oh, look! There!' she exclaimed, pointing with her parasol to the ground a few feet away. And he did look, and beheld an adder leisurely moving across the pathway. Mr. Smitten saw it, too, and springing forward, he struck the reptile with its stick, killing it at once, and he tossed it among the trees out of sight. "'If I were superstitious,' remarked Mr. Mitten, "'I should take that as an evil omen.' "'I'm glad you are not superstitious,' replied Mr. Smitten with a laugh. 
for the fact is this place has reputation of being haunted. He uttered this quickly, jerked it out, as it were, as though he was glad to get it off his mind, the incident of the snake having given him the opportunity of making the remark. Haunted! exclaimed the two ladies in a breath, while someone like a scared appearance came into their faces. Of course that won't affect you, ladies, said Mr. Smitten, with his bland smile. You are above being affected by such silly nonsense, I am sure. They walked on, the brown falled slowly. The drive was an overgrown with moss and grass and strewn with decaying leaves and pieces of branches of trees that had been whirled off by gales. Presently, the drive took a turn, then expanded, and the house came into view. It was an old Elizabethan mansion, with pointed gables and a red-tiled roof that gave it a very quaint appearance, but it looked forlorn and moldering to decay, even with the sun pouring down a flood of golden lights upon it. Had it been seen under less favorable atmospheric conditions, it would certainly have worn a repellent aspect. Ivy and honeysuckle had struggled to the very eaves, and hung in straggling and ragged festoons about the windows. The interior of the hall was worse than the exterior. Cobwebs hung from the ceiling in long ropes, the paper had peeled from the walls, the fire grates were red with rust, the windows obscured with dirt, the floors black and in some place rotten, while pervading the whole house was a dank, earthy, moldering smell, like that which comes from a newly opened tomb. The ladies shuddered, and were evidently repelled by the cheerlessness and gloom of the house, but Mr. Smitten chatted pleasantly and glibly. He had a smooth tongue and great fluency, and knew how to say pretty things in dulcet tones. He was very anxious to get the property off his hands, and as Mr. Mitten seemed a likely customer, he was not going to let him slip if taking would secure him. The premises were thoroughly examined. They were certainly they certainly were commodious and not ill-planned, but paint, paper, and whitewash everywhere wanted renewing. The same neglect characterized the grounds. They were howling wilderness of ill weeds, and the conservatories were falling to pieces. The ladies certainly were not impressed although they expressed admiration for the position and view, and there could be no doubt that the situation was healthy, for it stood high, gravel and chalk were the geological features for miles round, and the air was sing singularly pure, while the water was liquid crystal. Well, said Mr. Minton, reflecting what the survey was over, I can see certain potentialities in this place. Potentialities? "'I should think so, my dear,' exclaimed the agent joyfully. "'With the expenditure of a little money, it could be made into a palace.' "'Without answering this remark, Mr. Mitten turned to his wife and daughter, said, "'What is your opinion, darlings?' "'Well,' answered his wife cautiously, "'we have seen it under every possible disadvantage as far as neglect and dirt go, "'and I think it would want a lot less money spending to put it into order.' "'But what is the story about it being haunted?' asked the young lady, addressing Mr. Smitten and unable to suppress a little shudder. Mr. Smitten laughed loudly, almost boisterously, as he made reply. "'My dear young lady, such stories as these are always so ridiculous that they cannot be discussed by sensible people.' He dismissed the subject with his bland smile and lofty wave of his white hand. As they returned to town, Mr. Mitten, for the first time, asked the price, 
and figured name by Mr. Smitten was so low that the other opened his eyes in astonishment. "'Is there anything the matter with the place?' Mr. Mitten asked with great point. "'Nothing. I pledge you my honour," answered the agent equally emphatic. "'Beyond its reputation as a haunted house, but it's right to say that its reputation has kept the place untenanted for twenty years with one short break. It was let on yearly tenancy to a family who only remained, however, six months.' "'Why did they leave?' asked the two ladies in concert. "'They said they heard noises, and that what looked like blood dripped from the ceilings.' "'Oh!' exclaimed the mother and daughter with little start, and nestled closer to each other as if for mutual protection. Mr. Mitten smiled skeptically, and the smile did not escape the agent, who said quickly, "'I have told you frankly the cause of our not being able to let or sail the place.' That is the sole reason, and it certainly does not say much for our boisterous enlightenment, that so splendid a property should go begging through such a senseless cause. "'You are right, you are right,' exclaimed Mr. Mitten, and the other felt from this that the customer was secured. The following day, Mr. Mitten, not wholly, with his wife and daughter's approbation, instructed his lawyers to make further inquiries, and examine the title deeds. The inquiries elicited nothing beyond what the agent had stated, namely, that people said it was haunted, while, for as the title deeds, they were beyond dispute or quibble. The price asked was very low, but Mr. Mitten's lawyers offered a still lower price, and as the agent's instructions were to sell at any price, rather than let them place fall in absolute ruin, the bargain was closed, and Mr. Mitten became the absolute possessor of the Dumthorpe Hotel Hall. He immediately set a little army of workmen to work, gardeners, painters, paper hangers, plumbers, etc., as he was anxious to move in before winter. Very soon the place had been transformed, and the prejudice of the ladies gave way. As they saw the change had been expressed, themselves delighted. As soon as the workmen were out, the upholsters entered, and they, as they had carte blanche to furnish the house thoroughly and well, they had soon diffused comfort, warmth, and beauty, whereas while they all was decay and mildew. It was the last week in October when the family moved in. The autumn tents were on the land, but beyond that there was no trace of approaching winter. The days were still warm and bright and sunny, for it had been an exceptionally fine season. A number of servants were already installed. The greenhouses and conservatories were filled with flowers. The gardeners were already bright and gay while in the stables were horses and carriages. In fact, the place was complete with everything that could give comfort or enjoyment to the family. Mr. Mitten was a liberal provider, and being wealthy, having made his pile out of mines in British Columbia, he spared no expense. For the first few weeks, all went merry as a marriage bell. The ladies expressed themselves charmed with the place. The dark days of November were drawing to a close, and the house was full of visitors. When one morning the cook approached Miss Mitten and said, can I speak to you, Mum, for a few minutes? Certainly, Cook. What is it? Well, Mum, she began sheepishly, I've been awfully annoyed for several nights by somebody walking all over my head. Oh, nonsense, Cook. That couldn't be. The room over you is a lumber room, and it's just filled up with boxes. Yes, Mum, I know that, and that's what makes the noise all the queerer. And then yesterday morning, something came down from the ceiling in the kitchen like blood. Mr. Mitten turned a little pale. Mrs. Mitten turned a little pale and shuddered, for she remembered that the agent had mentioned the story about blood dripping from the ceiling. What an extraordinary thing, she said with a forced laugh. 
But the next time you are troubled with this phenomena, cook, pray come and tell me. The cook did not seem quite satisfied as she went away, and that night, about ten o'clock, she went to her mistress again with a scared white face and said, It's there again, ma'am. Will you please come to my room? Mr. M Mrs. Mitten went, and to her surprise she heard a steady measured tramp, tramp, tramp overhead. She sent for her husband. He came, and he heard the same sounds. He went into the room above, but there was nothing to account for those footsteps. In fact, so full was the room of boxes, trunks, etc., that there was not a clear floor space of two yards. Mrs. Mitten did not go into the upper room. She waited for her husband coming down, and suddenly, as she was looking up towards the ceiling, something wet fell on her face. She uttered a little startled cry, and taking out her handkerchief, wiped the wet off, and what was her astonishment to find that the handkerchief was stained with blood or what seemed like blood. Such a shock did this cause her that she almost fainted, and when her husband returned she was pale and trembling. He expressed himself mystified, and it was evident that he had very much impressed. It was agreed that nothing should be said about this to anybody in the house, and the cook was enjoined to keep the matter secret for the present. But the following morning, after breakfast, the gentleman retired to the smoking room for a few whiffs, when a young fellow named Double came out and filled his pipe. I say, Mitten, old fellow, who is lodging over me? I don't think anyone is over you. In fact, I'm sure there is not. Why? Well, I don't know, but it seems to me that there's some fellow with heavy boots did nothing but tramp about all night. Mr. Mitten sta started. He could not help it, and he who had indignantly disavowed any belief in the supernatural was becoming superstitious. He laughed the matter off, however, and told his friend that he must have been suffering from a nightmare. For the next two or three days, nothing else occurred, or at any rate was mentioned, until Miss Mitten went into her mother's room in a state of great fright and exclaimed, "'Oh, Mama! I had such a shock! As I was dressing, something fell from the ceiling on my face and neck, and when I wiped it off, it was like blood!' Mrs. Mitten grew deadly pale as she heard this, but recovering herself quickly, she answered, "'Well!' darling. I have experienced the same thing, but it is better to say nothing about it. As long as it is not more serious, we must put it up with, put up with it. When the guests have gone, we will have the house examined. Possibly some trick is being played. Although she thus dismissed the subject from being time for the time being, she could not get rid of the mystery so easily. And that strange drip from the ceiling was impartial, for it dripped on alike and in all parts of the house. Other ladies and gentlemen complained of it, and the ladies became alarmed, while a thorough investigation organized by the gentlemen was entirely barren of a result. They could be discovered nothing, absolutely nothing, and the ceilings, which had all been newly whitened, were stainless. These people felt they were in the presence of some mystery, which they couldn't solve. But what was it? Of course the gentlemen scoffed, and even some of the stronger-minded ladies pooh-poohed, but there were others to help who held their peace, and as soon as they could courteously do so, they took their departure. Mr. Mitten was greatly concerned. If this sort of thing was to continue, he would hardly get guests to stay with him, while as for his wife and daughter, it was evident they were suffering in their nerves. Then a fresh trouble arose. Some of the servants gave notice to leave, saying they were afraid to stay in such a place. The cook, who was an exceedingly good servant and liked her place, was loath to go. 
but she said that she would certainly have to leave if the annoyances did not stop. It need scarcely be said that the matter preyed upon Mr. Mitten's mind. He had spent a large sum of money upon the house, and to be the victim of such an unsolvable annoyance was a great hardship. As Christmas approached, things seemed to get worse. Those drips from the ceiling were constantly falling, and the tramping, which was confined to two rooms, still went on. It became very obvious to Mr. Mitten that his wife and daughter were suffering in health, though they tried not to show it, and he became greatly concerned. A new set of guests came down for Christmas, and care was taken not to put anyone into the room below that where the tramping was heard. But people complained, nevertheless, of red moisture dripping on them from the ceilings, and nervous people became frightened. Mr. Mitten was not a man to be easily subdued. As a mining engineer, he had faced dangers in all shapes and forms, and had overcome difficulties that would have daunted less determined and less strong-minded men. But now, this constant interruption to his domestic comfort and peace was telling sorely upon his already shattered health. He had come here for quietude and rest, but in spite of his care and lavish expenditure, it seemed as if his hopes were doomed to be blighted. As he was not quite able to digest divest himself of the idea that he was the victim of some stupid trickery. He, with the aid of a builder from the new neighboring town, examined the house from, room, from roof to basement. And all the time that he was pursuing his investigation, that mysterious dripping of fluid-like blood continued from the ceilings, and the tramping in the lumber room never ceased at nighttime. The examination, therefore, resulted in nothing, and the mystery was a mystery still. At last, driven to desperation, Mr. Mitten resolved to try another expedient. That was to clear out the lumber room, have a bed put up there, and sleep in the room himself. This he did against the earnest, prayful entries of his wife and daughter, and even of the servants. But he was resolute, saying he never feared living men, and nothing dead could harm him. The arrangements completed, he wished his wife and daughter a fond good night, and when they exacted a promise from him, that would be violently ring his bell if he required assistance. He laughed heartedly and retired to what had now come to be called in the house the haunted room. His wife and daughter were restless and uneasy, but as the hours sped and there were no sound of the bell, they dropped off to sleep. In the morning, about nine o'clock, Mr. Mitten's valet went up to the room with hot water. He knocked at the door. There was no response. He knocked again. Still no answer. So he tried the handle. It yielded, and he entered. Then from his hand fell the hot water jug he was carrying, and he staggered back with a wild cry of alarm. For lying on the bed, his limbs all contorted, the sheets twisted about his body like ropes, as if he had rolled and writhed in some torturous agony, his eyes starting from his head in horror, his mouth wide open, his hands clenched, the nails digging into the palms, was Mr. Mitten, stone dead. Medical men were hastily summoned, but their services were of no avail. They could only certify that Mr. Mitten, being in very delicate health, had received a shock of some sort, which has caused death. A shock of some sort? That was the only too painfully evident. It did not need a medical man to state that. What could they not state was how the shock had been produced. Poor Miss Mitten and her daughter were carried prostrated from the fatal house to a neighbor's, and they only entered it once again to take a last look at the remains of the husband and father. When they had been borne to his final resting place, his widow instructed her lawyers to sell off all the furniture immediately.
That done, the accursed house was shut up, and it remained shut for over a dozen years. No one could be found to take it, and, at last, only a few years ago, the estate was sold. The house raised to the ground, and some small villas erected on the land, and Dumthorpe Hall became only a memory. Many people will no doubt remember what a fierce controversy raged at the time of Mr. Mitten's tragic death, and how nearly every paper in the kingdom, big and little, advanced some theory to try and account for the phenomena which had alarmed servants and guests alike. Some of the papers discussed the affair bantingly, some with glib platitudes about the pitiable superstition which still lingered in some of the remote country districts. Others, again, half seriously, and others still with appalling learnedness. Divines and laymen alike entered in the conflicts of opinion, but in the end nothing was proved, nothing was solved, and the extraordinary mystery remains a mystery still. Thanks for listening. If you have not followed the podcast already on Instagram, please do so at Once Upon a Terror. If you have a story that you would like to submit, please submit it to Once Upon a Terror at Outlook.com. I've been told that there have been some audio issues, and I am currently in the works of fixing that. And hopefully this episode does that justice, because I did just edit a whole bunch of audio to make sure that the sound is equalized. Uh, some of you have said that I read too fast, um, and I do tend to read too fast, so I'm working on slowing that down. Um, but yeah, this is all part of learning how to become a podcast narrator, so thank you for your feedback and everything. All right. Good night, guys.